Hello, and welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Jill Pelkey, and I'm glad you've joined me today. Um, You can check out more of the Activate Podcast on soundcloud.com or on iTunes. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about Psalm 139. So let's pray together, and we'll get right into the Word of God. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us today. Not only are you here with us, but you dwell in us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us, that speaks to us and helps us in every part of our lives. Lord, I pray that today you would speak through your word. There's so many of us today that need a word from God. And we thank you for the Bible that's living and active. The Bible that teaches us truth, that shows us where to go. It shows us how to get there. It shows us how to act, how to respond. And Lord, I pray that today we would glimpse just a little bit of your love for us, that we would capture in our hearts just the the thought that our imaginations could go a little bit deeper into knowing and realizing the love that you have for us. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to take a look at Psalm 139, and we're going to look at the entire psalm, and we're going to look at what the Lord is saying to us. So Psalm 139 in the NIV, it starts out this way. You have searched me, Lord. You have searched me, Lord. So we're talking about the God of the universe, the God who created all people, for every period of time, who created the atmosphere and the ocean and the earth and everything in it. And it says that you searched me, Lord. And when we think about ways that we are searched, sometimes we voluntarily let our lives be searched. Uh, When we go to see an accountant, for example, we let him search, him or her search our finances. Um, When we go to a doctor, we let them search our health. And we say, take a look at this and tell me what's good, what's bad. Test me, see, you know, what's good, what I need to work on. When we go to a physical trainer at a gym, we say, search me, know me, and tell me what I can do to get stronger or healthier. There's lots of ways where we voluntarily put ourselves out there to be searched. And in different facets of our lives, uh, students, when they take a test, They are searched for how much knowledge they have. It uh, lays out there what they know and what they don't know. And this idea of the Lord searching us, he's searching our very souls. It's a little different than the accountant with money or the doctor with health or the test for knowledge. God is searching our very souls. And I see the tug there in some of our hearts. The, the, for some of us, there's huge apprehension, apprehension at that point uh, because we don't want the Lord to search us. <laughs> the same could be said about an accountant. Some of us would be fearful of an accountant or fearful of a doctor or fearful of a trainer or a test because we're afraid of what they would find out, right? And then there's the other side of us that see great safety in being searched, right? Great safety in going to the doctor every year for a yearly checkup. Great safety in having a trainer, an accountant, or a test of knowledge. So there's, there's two sides of kind of a seesaw here. Some of us would feel very apprehensive and say, I don't want to be searched. Leave me alone. I'm going to deal with this myself. And then the other side of that seesaw is those that would say, search me, help me, see what I could do better. You have knowledge. You have understanding. Show it to me. 
But I do believe that we're going to discover that many of us that are on the side that say, leave me alone, should really cross over to the side that says, search me, Lord. Because just like a doctor who may find something uh, that you could treat now, the Lord could find something in our souls and say, let's treat that now before it gets worse. Let's look at that now before it turns into something harder to deal with or more tangled up and difficult. So we have the tug either way, but we have the Lord searching us. And there's the part in that that we have to realize that the God of the universe is paying attention to you. That's pretty remarkable. The God of the universe, how is he paying attention to each and every one of us? But the psalmist David here says, you searched me, Lord. The God of the universe attention zeroes in on each one of us because he is higher than us, bigger than us. He's not human. He is able to search us. So he looks and directs his attention right at us. Now it goes a little deeper here as we look at verse two. You have searched me, Lord. The, the second part of verse one says, you know me. How many of us have been in situations where we've met people and we're like, you can say whatever you want, but you don't really even know me. Or we think uh, in disappointment, the people that we thought knew us, our closest friends or uh, relatives or people we've been in association with, we think that they know us and come to find out they don't really even actually know us. How many of us have complained in our hearts or in our, in our heads? I just want to be known by someone. I just want someone to see me, to recognize me, to know who I am. Not for accolades, but for friendship. Very few people are known. You know, with all the people in the world, very few of us know each other. And the Lord says, I've searched you and I know you. I know you. So for those of you that feel like you're misunderstood or those of you who feel like you're all alone, there's a God that knows you. He gets you. He understands why you do what you do, why you respond the way you do. He understands what, what, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what makes you tick. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then it goes on, you know when I sit and when I rise, meaning the everyday details of your life. Besides your spouse, there's nobody else really in the world that knows more about you than your spouse. When you sit and when you rise, when you go to sleep and when you wake up, most of your friends don't know your, your, your morning routine or your nightly routine. But those everyday things, God says, I know when you sit down, I know when you get up. I have searched you and I know you. The second part of verse two says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He searches us. He knows us. He knows our everyday movements. And he even knows our thoughts. The things that we are thinking about, considering. This is more than a best friend, isn't it? It's more than a, a sometimes friend or a confidant. It's more than, than any other relationship on the entire planet that you could ever have. There's no one else that could know me like the Lord. There's no one else that is paying that much attention to when I sit and when I rise and to every thought that I have. Verse three says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So this knowledge that God has of us is, I can't think of another word except for severe. He has a severe knowledge of us. Now, severe feels cutting and, and, and raw and kind of mean, but he, it, it reminds me of the Santa Claus is coming to town song where he knows when you're awake, he knows when you're asleep. You, you better watch out. You better not shout because Santa Claus is coming to town. But Jesus knows us. God knows us. Our thoughts, the words that come out of our mouths. He knows why we said things that we've said. From the little details to the big heart matters, God knows us. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. Let's move on and keep, keep going through Psalm 139 here. Verse 7 or verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The knowledge that God's hand is upon our lives is just more than we can imagine. And when I talked in the beginning about that seesaw, that I don't want the Lord to know all that stuff about me. If you're on that side of the seesaw here, if you're on that side of, I don't think I want God to know my thoughts and what I'm going to say. And, and I, I just, that's too intrusive. That's too severe. And what God wants to show you is that his attention to you is good attention. His plans for you are good. And those of us that don't want to be searched, maybe need to take a look at the fact that God can help us to make things right. It's just like not going to the doctor when you have a broken arm, because you know that you're going to have to put a cast on, and you might not be able to go swimming for the summer. Isn't that pretty silly? So you don't go to the doctor with a broken arm. The same as when we say, oh, I don't want the Lord to search me. But the truth is he already has and he already is. He already knows you're coming and you're going. He already knows your thoughts. And so why not enter into a relationship with him where it says that you lay your hand upon me and, and the Lord will begin to speak to you and give you wisdom and knowledge if he knows you best, if he knows you better than anyone else on this planet. Shouldn't he be the one to direct your steps? Shouldn't he be the one to help you see what's coming and, and what's behind you and before you? And that part of hemming you in means that his protection is around you when you trust in him. So when we can glimpse a little bit of God's love, if we can imagine that it's, he's good for us, he's not um, trying to hurt us or trying to point a finger at us or to harm us, that he is uh, here to love us, then all of a sudden, him knowing us is a good thing. Him knowing us is a great thing. And the psalmist says, this knowledge for me is just so great. It's more than I can comprehend or imagine that you would know this about me or care about me. This is wonderful that God would know us. This is wonderful news. This is the helper, the knight in shining armor that you've been waiting for. He is here. And then the psalmist David goes on in verse seven. He says, where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? Even if I go up to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. No matter where you go, God, God is there with you. If you run away from him, he's right there with you. You didn't actually run away. No matter where you go in the time span of your life from birth until death, God is with you. No matter where you make your home, God is with you. No matter what situation you find yourself in, God is not void of that situation. God is there. God is there. God is with you in this moment that you're hearing these words. God is there. God is there. He knows you. He knows you better than anyone else, and he's there. Verse 13 says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, God, to me, O oh God. How precious are your thoughts to me. This God that knows everything about you in this moment has known you since your creation. He's the one who breathed life into you. And it says all your days are recorded in his book. I like the analogy that my husband uses, <clears throat> and I, I'm searching for a more feminine uh, parallel to this, but how is it that God already knows what's going to happen in my life? Does that mean that I'm just a robot walking out days that were already predestined for me to walk out? And in this illustration, John likens it to the Super Bowl. And if you were to get a Super Bowl tape of the Super Bowl that's going to happen in 2019, in next year, then you would know who won. You would know what plays were made. You would know who the MVP was. You would know um, what the final score was and touchdowns and everything. Does that mean that you made it happen? No. You knew what was going to happen, but you didn't force the players to run a certain way or to score a certain way. You just knew what was going to happen. And I think that's how we can perceive what God sees in us. He knows all the days of your life. He already saw the tape. He already saw it played out. He saw the finale. And yet he's walking you through every step of the way. So he has foreknowledge that we can't understand as human beings. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a free will. Continually through the word of God, he uh, portrays to us and shows us that we have choices to make. And that's why he's made us not angels, but humans, where angels are, uh, follow him. But uh, the free will peace that we have is different than that of angels. That free will, will peace that we have has us make our own choices. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's not that God knows 
everyone. It's that he knows me. It's not that God is everywhere. It's that God is everywhere with me. It's not just that God created everything. It's that God created me, that he thinks about me. David Gusick, in his Enduring Word commentary, said those words, made it personal. It's not that God knows everything. It's that he knows me. It's not that he just knows everyone. He knows me. He's not just with everyone. He's with me. He knows every big thing, every small thing. In Matthew, it talks about how he even has numbered the hairs, excuse me, on our heads. He's numbered the hairs on our head. I don't know how many hairs I have on my head. He knows me better than I know myself. My husband, my kids, my mom doesn't know how many hairs I have on my head. And again, it's not a punitive thing where God's looking down at us pointing a finger at us because he knows everything about us. He's celebrating us. His thoughts towards us are good. His ways towards us are good. Let's read this again. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Oh, praise God. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my coming and going and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days were ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. That means God knows everything about you. He knows what's going to happen. Why not come in relationship to him? Why not come and walk with him? You know me, my heart, my anxious thoughts. You have searched me, Lord. And then it goes on and David says, if only God, you would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. This is saying that David's saying, I am so devoted to you, God. I'm not just accepting evil to be what, what I do. I am running from evil. I don't even want to be around wickedness. And the adversaries that David had were 
coming to kill him. We're coming to take his life. And he says, I don't want to be away around. Why don't you just kill every wicked person? Why don't you kill everyone that's against you? But what is, what is Jesus? What is God? He is love. What is God? He is love. We don't see him killing the wicked. We see him calling the wicked. The New Testament says it's not for the sick. It's not for the healthy that I came. It's for the sick that I came. The sick need a doctor. Those who are bound up need freedom. And Isaiah, he says, I'm going to, to preach to the poor, to uh, bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives. So why doesn't God slay the wicked? Because he loves them. Because he's known them from the beginning of time. Because it's him who breathed life into them. He knows their thoughts. He's familiar with all of their ways. And he's yearning for them to come in right relationship with him. And so I think that we as Christians, that call to the Lord, why don't you just slay the wicked? It's not the cry of God's heart. Psalm 139 started out, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Now the other side of that comes in Psalm 139, 22, or 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Before it said, you've searched me. Now it's saying, Please search me again. Like, you've done it. Now I'm inviting you to do it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The invitation to God, search me, God. So many people I know struggle with anxiety, struggle with those anxious thoughts. So it's saying, God, search those anxious thoughts and point out to me, show me, teach me, lead me in the way of life and not death. God is the cure to our anxiety. God is the cure to our worry. God is the cure to everything that ails our minds. Because he knows us. He knows our sitting and our sleeping, our thoughts and our words. His thoughts to us outnumber the, the grains of sand on the seashore. And so that God that knows us, he is the cure for our anxiety. He is the cure for our anxious thoughts. So we come to him and we say, all right, God, here's my day. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's who I'm worried about. Here's why I'm worried. We say, God, give me life by your word. Speak to me through your word. Give me peace that passes worldly understanding. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of life. At first, it's proclaiming that God is searching you. And then at the end, it's asking, God, search me. I know this is good. I'm on that other side of the seesaw, God, and I know your thoughts for me are good. Your, your ways are good and they're different than mine. And I want to live your way. You know, when a toddler or a baby is growing, we don't ever think that it would be a good idea to just leave them to their own devices. When our kids were little, if you have kids or have ever been around kids, you pay so much attention to them, you know um, when their teeth are coming in. 
You know when their hair comes in. You know when they need a haircut. You know when their fingernails need to be trimmed or their toenails need to be trimmed. You know every detail about them because you spend so much time with them. And it's good time. It's good attention. And the Lord has that same attention for us, not that we stay toddlers or babies, but in comparison to the God of the universe. He knows more than we do. He understands in a different way than we do, just like a parent does to a toddler. A parent understands so much more about the dangers of the world, about love, about care, about goodness, about kindness. And the parent teaches that to the child. And if we allow the Lord to do that for us, if we look at his attention towards us as good, if we allow him to uh, fix our broken arms, so to speak, or heal our broken heart, if we allow him to search our soul, we'll be so much better off. And so today, wherever you are, I hope that you realize the attention that God has on your life. I hope you glimpse just a little glimpse of the fact that Jesus Christ is looking at you today, that the God of the universe knows not just you in general, but you in every detail of who you are that he's concerned with you, that he knows not just all of humanity, he knows you. He doesn't just love all of humanity, he loves you. He is concerned about your coming and your going and your thoughts and your words. He knows you, he gets you, he understands you. And as he searches you, I pray that your heart would be open today, that you would say, okay, God, search me, and, and show me the way of life. Show me if there's anything in my heart that's wicked. Show me so I can get better so this doesn't go on. Just like a doctor will point out something that you can improve or some medicine you can take or he can test your blood or test parts of you. God can do the same thing in your life. Don't you want your soul to be better? Don't you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Don't you want God to make you better? Because we can try hard, and we can try harder, and we can try harder. But it's only Jesus Christ that comes and makes us fresh and new. We could self-diagnose all day long, but it's God, it's His Holy Spirit that actually changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. We don't want behavior modification. We don't want to just try to look better on the outside. We want to be better on the inside. If we want character to grow in us, it takes time and it takes Jesus. Deep character is formed over time and it spills out in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, goodness, and self-control. Against those things, there's no law. But it takes the Holy Spirit in us not us trying harder. I could try and try and try to be patient, but it's the Holy Spirit that works out whatever my anxious thoughts are within me. It's the Holy Spirit that like a a mother can look at a toddler and teach it what to do and what not to do. God can look at us and teach us what to do and what not to do. God can direct our path. The Bible, the word of God can direct our path. How does he do it? Oh, we just got to spend time with him. We have to read the Bible daily. We have to read the Bible daily. I'm going to say it. We have to read the Bible daily. 
Why? Because it's a book of life. If we want to be led in the way everlasting, we have to read the everlasting book. We have to know God's love. How do we know God's love? See, there's a fine line, and I'm afraid that many are on the wrong side of it. There's this line of knowledge and love. And in 1 Corinthians 8, it says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And here's where many of us stand. We have all the knowledge that we think that we need. We have the knowledge of what patience is. We have the knowledge of what love is. And we stand on the wrong side of the line and we have all this knowledge. And all it does is puff us up. But if we want the deep character, the true, true Christianity, true discipleship of Jesus, we need to not have knowledge of these things. We have to get in the presence of God and be surrounded by his love because love builds up. Love is that deep character building thing that we can only get true love from God. We can only get true love from God. With no false pretenses, true love with nothing in it, no bit of yeast in the dough, no bit bit of poison, no bit of anything, but pure love, it only comes from God. We get samples of it. We get pieces of it. We get flashes of it in people. Sometimes we get imitations of it that are screwed up and messed up. Sometimes we get imitations of it that are pure and wonderful. But only true love is found in God. And to be in the presence of God, to be surrounded by his love, to know and be known by God, then we want him to search us. Then if we taste that love, we are free to change. It brings us back to being able to be like little children. It brings us back to being free. If you can think back over the course of your lifetime to the last time that you felt free, I would venture to guess that you felt loved and not judged when you felt free. God wants to free us by his love. When we're surrounded by the love of God, when we're surrounded by the Holy Spirit, we can change in ways that only he has designed for us to change and to grow. We don't want fake patience. We don't want fake smiles that fade as soon as we walk out the door of church or our home or in front of people. We want to be changed from the inside out so that we really are patient, so that we really are kind. We don't act kind. We are kind. We don't act patient. We are patient. The only way to do that is by the Holy Spirit in our lives. The only way to do that is today, opening the word of God and reading it for yourself, is tomorrow and the next day and the day after and the day after and the day after, to be in the presence of Almighty God's love and let him search us and direct our paths in the way of life. So today I challenge you, get in the word of God for yourself. Open up the Bible yourself. Open up the book of Psalms. Read Psalm 139. Read it five times, 10 times. Put it uh, in your earbuds and listen to it over and over. Open up 1 Peter. Open up 1 John. Open up Genesis. Read of the Father's love for you. Slow down and let it speak to you. And a great thing to do is before you even open it, say, God, by your Holy Spirit, speak to me as I read this book. The Bible's living and active. 
It is the most impressive book I have ever read because it's alive. It's not a dead book. It's not just words on paper. It is the spirit of God and it comes alive to us. God loves you. He has searched you and he knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your, your words before you say them. His thoughts to you are more than the grains of sand on the sea. No matter where you go in time or space, he's there with you. And he wants to know you even more by having a relationship with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to say, search me, God. Jesus stands with open arms saying, anyone who will come, come. And he'll build you up with love, not knowledge, with love. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you know me, that you know every person listening from one part of the U.S. to the other. You know us all. You formed us all. And God, I pray that we would come into a relationship with you today that would allow you to speak to our anxious thoughts, that would allow you to speak to any wicked way that's in us. Here we are, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. And if you're listening right now and you still have your earphones on, I would encourage you just to stay just a few more moments and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Stay quiet before the Lord and let him speak to you right now. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us. We pray that you would speak to each and every person listening, that God, you would give a word of hope and encouragement to every single person. Give us life by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.